when it happens and mark it down and rest assured, it will happen. And when it happens, it will happen so slowly. It will happen so gradually. It will happen so slowly that you will most likely not even recognize that it's happening, though it is. Because it's inevitable and it's imperceptible. And whatever's inevitable and imperceptible, it has, it has the potential to be devastatingly dangerous. I mean, what could be more dangerous than an enemy that is both undetectable and unavoidable? You have an enemy and there's an enemy that's stalking you. There's an enemy present in the shadows of your life and my life that's undetectable. Think about that, an enemy that's undetectable and unavoidable. You know you're gonna cross paths with this enemy. You know you're gonna run into this enemy. It's unavoidable, but this enemy is nearly undetectable almost all of the time. And, and that, that feels dangerous, that feels risky, that, that feels like there's a threat and there is a threat. It's indiscriminate and insidious, th this enemy. And this makes it profoundly personal. Not because it can happen to any of us, but because it will happen sooner or later to all of us. And when it does, it has the potential to sabotage your present, to undermine your future. And I'm not being you know, overly dramatic with this. It has the potential to destroy your life. It has the potential to destroy my life. And in this series, we're calling it the drift. The drift. It's inevitable. It's imperceptible. It's indiscriminate. It's insidious. It's the drift. And for the sake of what we're going to be talking about, because today's kind of like the introduction to, to the rest of the series, but, but to think about drift, drift as we're talking about it in this series, it's change without purpose. It's accidental change, it's incidental change, it's, it's change without effort, it's change without a conscious decision to change. It's change that you don't know is taking place. You're not trying, but yet something's happening in your life, it's, it's the drift. And in life, drift happens. Matter of fact, many of us have had it already happened in our lives and now we can look back and we can see it and we can tell stories. And some of those stories are painful and some of those stories are still in process. Some of us right now are in the middle of a drift and we don't even know it. And that ought to just kind of freak us out a minute when we think about that, that we could, we could be drifting and not even know it. And then there's some of you, drifts coming sooner or later. It's inevitable. But here's the thing, drift, drift is something that it happens in some of the most important areas of our life, some of the most consequential areas of our life. Uh, drift can happen in relationships. It can happen you know, in families. It can happen between spouses. It can happen among friends. And, and some of you, you know this because you've had friends before and, and once upon a time, you were as close as close could be, you know, as the saying goes, you're closest thieves. I've never understood that. Closest thieves, I guess thieves are just tight. I mean, they have a lot of friends. You're as thick as thieves. I mean, you're as close as close could be. You did everything together, right? You remember that? You just did everything together. And if you were going somewhere, you just assume they were going too. And you were always in contact. You did everything together, but then, you know, you, you just, it was like one day, it was like 
Something had happened and things had changed. You're like, ah, what is, something's different. Now there's space. There, there's a distance between. You don't talk like you used to. You don't hang out like you used to. Something happened. Well, you know what happened? Drift happened. Now, sometimes we part ways on purpose with friends, but sometimes it's like nobody made a decision and there was just a drift. It was an unconscious change, change without any effort. It can happen between spouses, husbands, wives. He fell for her and she fell for him. Oh, he looked at her and he thought, oh, mama. Lord have mercy. And she looked at him and she was thinking, Lord have mercy on me. And they can't get enough of each other, right? Remember, some of y'all remember that. It's been a long time for some of you. You may not be able to remember that. But they couldn't get enough of each other. And they, you know, in the beginning, they talk in, before they were ever married, they would talk endless hours on, on, a, on a telephone. I mean, just endless hours and they were so crazy about each other. You know, you were so crazy about her and she was so crazy about you. You know, you even hated to hang up the phone at night and you get to that and say, I love you. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, I love you more. Hey, you hang up. No, you hang up first. No, I don't wanna hang up. I don't wanna ever hang up on you. Can we just sleep together on the phone? That's a very safe way to sleep together when you're not married. Can we just sleep together? Can we just fall asleep and not ever hang up? You know, some of you are like, what? People do that? I can remember I was in high school. I was on the phone with my girlfriend one night and it was, it was you know, not like that, but kind of like that. And it was like, you know, towards the end of the conversation, it was probably like one o'clock in the morning. And, you know, back in the days of where people had landlines and some of you are the age, you're like a landline. What is a landline? Uh, well, it's not an actual line that you lay on the land. It, it was a telephone that you just couldn't pack in your pocket. I mean, it was actually attached. And so, you know, there were different phones throughout the house. And if you were talking on, well, I can't believe I have to explain this, but I, I was thinking <laughs> I better explain this because some people have absolutely no idea. So if you're talking on the phone in one part of the house, somebody in another part of the house could pick up the phone and listen to your conversation, right? Okay. So I was talking on the phone one night with my girlfriend and all of a sudden, I, I, it took me a minute to figure out what was going on. I mean, the, 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 there was just a lot of noise on the phone and I realized that my parents were having a married good time in their bedroom and somebody had kicked the phone off. And I was like, is that your house, honey? Oh my Lord, I heard my dad's name. Uh, what? Uh, I, and so, we hung up that night, okay? And uh, anyway, I shouldn't have told it, but I did and I can't get out of it now. The good thing is mom and dad don't watch. And if any of their friends are, don't tell them I told you. But you know, what started with, I love you, no, I love you more. What started like that, eventually, no, nobody decided this. No, nobody wrote this in the planner, nobody made a reminder. But what started out like that became silent. It became a cold, indifferent coexistence. I mean, who decides that? Nobody makes a conscious decision in a marriage for that to happen. Passion gave way to apathy. Intentionality gave way to neglect. Celebrating just gave way to grumbling and complaining. 
And nobody decided to do it. Something happened, drift happened. It can happen in families. Everybody goes to grandma's on Sunday. Everybody has, you know, Sunday lunch there. And, and nobody had to ask what's happening on Thanksgiving or Christmas because everybody knows we're going there. And everybody would get together with great grandma or great grandpa and the grandparents and the kids and the grandkids and sometimes the great grandkids. And then what happens? The matriarch of the family dies, the patriarch of the family dies. And Pretty soon there's no lunch, you know, on Sundays and pretty soon everybody's doing their own thing, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and, and there wasn't a falling out. It wasn't like, you know, the family got mad at each other and said, we're, we're just, we didn't wanna see each other anymore, but nobody decided it. It was just kind of this unconscious thing that happened. It was, it was drift. People can drift for not only in their relationships but with values. You know, once upon a time, you had a set of values that helped form your thinking and determine your decisions. There were certain things that you would never, ever do. There were certain things you'd never say yes to. And once upon a time, there were certain things you'd never say no to because it wasn't in line with who you wanted to be. But without any conscious decision, you, you look up one day and you have drifted from values that were once so close, near and dear to your heart. And now, there's a big part of you that's not who you ever wanted to be, but somehow you are now who you are because drift happened. You can drift from your vision. You had a vision for your life, what your career was gonna look like, what your family was gonna look like, what your marriage was gonna look like, what kind of parent you were gonna be. What your life could look like, and more importantly, what your life should look like. And your vision was in line with your values. But somewhere along the way, Things got murky, things got cloudy. It just, you don't even, you can't even put a finger on it. But you're so far from that vision. You're so far from being that person, from living that life, because drift happened. And then for the sake of us who are Jesus followers, the most important thing and the most, you know, really scary thing is this, we can drift when it comes to our faith. Because once upon a time, how many Christians Hopefully none of us. Once upon a time, there were so many Christians who were, it was like their faith was so fresh. It was like, it was like breathing fresh oxygen. It was like, it was so good, it was so great. It was so exciting. Faith was a priority. I mean, it was just like on your mind, it was in your heart. It actually brought a smile to your face. It was in your conversations. Man, faith was so, you were always inviting people to church. You were always thinking about, you know, man, I can't wait. And man, you were making time to read your Bible and you were making time to, you know, listen to the Bible app and you were praying. You actually had things to pray about, things to pray for. You were connected to a church, I mean really connected. I mean, you were serving and you were giving and you were involved and interactive. You know, you felt known. There were some people you were in community with, but now you just, you don't even know how it happened. It's like faith, that faith, that faith was so fresh, that faith that felt so big and so alive and so consequential. Now it's kind of like an accessory. Do I wear it, do I not wear it? You know, does it fit? Does it not fit anymore? And, and it just kind of, it's just become secondary. We're really honest about it. We don't, want, we don't want to admit that for sure, but it's become secondary. It's not the most important thing. Hasn't been for a bit. Because drift happens in some of the most important areas of life. And here's the thing. We rarely drift in a good direction. We rarely drift towards better. We rarely drift towards stronger. We rarely drift towards happier. 
We never drift to the top of the mountain. We almost always tend to drift towards danger. We drift away from better. We drift away from stronger. We drift away from what's best. We drift away from life and drift towards death. That's how drift works. And it always happens without us noticing because it's imperceptible, it's gradual, it's a slow erosion that takes place. And by the time that we notice that drift has been happening, we're already in dangerous waters. And we realize we're in dangerous waters. And then we realize, oh my goodness, I have drifted from where I was. I'm in dangerous waters. And when you find yourself all of a sudden in dangerous waters, when that happens, anything can happen. And you think, how in the world did I get here? You ever, you ever thought that? How in the world did I get here? How in the world did I get into these waters? Drift. You didn't decide it. You didn't sit out and consciously set out for it. It's drift. So there's, there's a book in the New Testament called the book of Hebrews and the author, we're not sure who, who he or she is, but they had some really important things to say about this and it kind of sets the stage for the rest of the series. Listen, listen to this advice. We must pay the most careful attention. Like how many parents say that to their kids? Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. Pay the most careful attention therefore to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. In other words, pay attention to the good things you've heard. Because if you don't pay attention to what you've heard, then you're gonna drift because drifting is passive, it's not active. And drifting, it's an indication that you're not in control. Your, your decision-making's not in control. Your thinking's not in control. That there is a current that's leading you. There's a current within you, there's a current around you, there, there's an undercurrent that has now taken control and you're drifting. You're losing ground from where you actually wanna be and where you actually were. And you're getting further away from where you eventually want to go. You're drifting. And all you have to do and all I have to do to drift is to do nothing. Take your hands off the wheel, stop paying attention. And the writer says, when you stop paying attention to the things that you're supposed to pay attention to, you're gonna drift, it's gonna happen. And it's imperceptible, it's dangerous. We begin to drift from who we wanna be and how we wanna live. And it begins to happen without any of us noticing. That's why he says, you've gotta pay attention you gotta pay attention to what you've heard. And it's in the context, in a larger, broader context of what's true. Pay attention to what you've heard and what you've been taught that's true. Pay attention to what you've been taught about what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's better and what's best. Pay attention to those things. Keep your eyes on those things. Keep your ears listening to those things because otherwise, if you don't, drift will happen. So he says, pay attention so you don't drift from those things because you will drift from those things. You will sooner or later drift from apathy. You'll drift into apathy and you started out in love. So you drift from love to apathy. You, you drift from action to procrastination. Once you were a person of action, you knew what needed to be done, you do it. Now, now it's just like, I, I'm gonna put it off for a little bit, I know, but you know, it's maybe not the best time. You, you drift from discipline to laziness, from intentionality to neglect, from hurt that you had no control over, but you drifted from hurt into bitterness. It's dangerous. You drifted from 
being a person of trust into just cynicism. Now you just, you're cynical of everything. Every person, everything, you've just, you, just, you just can't see it anymore. The good is so, is so far away from you and you've drifted into that. And now that's how you live. You drift from truth into lies. So what causes us, and this is, this is what we're talking about here, what causes us to, to take our attention off the things that are true and right and good and better and best? What causes us to, to stop paying attention? Because none of us, I don't think so. I, I don't think this is the way it works. None of us, we don't sit down and say, okay, we're gonna take our eyes off these things. We're gonna stop thinking about these things. So what causes us to take our attention off of those things and to begin to consequently drift from them? Well, a couple of thoughts, distractions, obviously. Our attention gets misplaced. We take our eyes off the road. We take our eyes off the ball. We take our eyes off of purpose and off of values and off of vision and off of our faith and what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's not, what's good, what's better, what's best. And you know, you hear it all the time. Don't, don't text and drive. Why? Because distractions can be destructive. One moment of a distraction, just one moment of trying to just thumb out that little one sentence reply can be destructive for you. It could kill you. It could kill somebody else. It could destroy your life forever. It could destroy your family's life forever. Just one momentary distraction. And this is why the writer of Hebrews says, hey, this is an important deal now. Don't minimize this because distractions, you get distracted. You like to think that you can control your destination when you're distracted, but when you're distracted, you have a propensity to drift. And life's not like the highway. You don't get those little, you know, gracious rumble strips that some of us drive on, drive on quite a bit. And it's like, you know, if, it, if they weren't there, I mean, it's like you're, you know, it, he says, don't, you can be distracted by pain and that's understandable, but, but whenever you're hurting and I'm hurting, you know who we're thinking about most of all? We're thinking about ourselves because that's the nature of pain. So you get distracted by pain, you, 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 get, you get distracted by people, you get distracted by prosperity because with prosperity comes what? Options. And when you've got lots of options, there's lots of options to become distracted away from what's right and what's good and what's better and what's best. Maybe that's been America's problem. Maybe that's been the culture's problem in the West. Maybe a little bit too much prosperity, more than we could handle. Maybe it's because of the age old rule of life. It seems like adversity pushes us into the right things. Prosperity tends to distract us from the best things. We just, you know, we, we got too much, you know, time on our hands. We got too many options and too, you know, it's just, it's just a thing that we can be distracted by. Prosperity's not wrong. Prosperity's not evil. It's good. It's a blessing from the Lord. But if we don't know how to handle it, if we allow it to distract us, it can become something that the enemy uses against us. You can be distracted by ambition. You can be distracted by a bad habit. You can just become distracted. You, you can just get so busy. Busyness is another reason why we stop paying attention. You didn't decide to stop paying attention to those. You just got so busy. You're, you're so hard pressed for time. You have no time to invest in the things that matter most. You don't have time to think about your values. You don't have time to think about the vision for your life. You don't have time to think about faith. You don't have time to read the Bible. You don't have time to pray. You don't have time to go to church a lot. You don't have time certainly to get connected and serve at the church a lot. You don't have time for something like groups. You don't have time for that. You're barely getting the people in your home to the places they need to be. You're just so busy. 
and you get distracted with the busyness and your busyness, it, it, you just stop paying attention. I stopped paying attention. And, and pretty soon we have no time to work on deep friendships. Pretty soon we don't have the time to work on our families. Pretty soon we don't have the time to think about how to get better at parenting, how to grow our faith. Third thing, you know, that causes us to stop paying attention is our affections. We, we just begin to love inferior things more than the most important things. You know, as John would say it, we, we love the world and the things of the world more than God and the things of God. And, and here's the thing, this is a rule of life. I'd write this one down. Our affections always control our attention. If you wanna know what somebody loves most, just watch and pay attention to what they give the most attention to. Because our affections drive our attention out. Yeah, we gotta spread our attention across lots of different things. We live life, we've got jobs, you know, we've got all of that going on. But I'm talking about when, when, when we are just able to decide for ourselves, our affections just direct our attention. And we always give attention to the things that matter to us most, like for real matter to us most. And when we got all these mixed up affections and busyness and distractions, and we could have talked about a lot of different things, a slow drift begins to occur. And it happens so slow. And again, you didn't decide it. You didn't even want it, but it starts to happen. So the writer says, pay attention, keep your focus to what you've heard, what you've been taught. Keep it between the lines, keep your hands on the wheel. Be intentional. Don't give yourself over to the undercurrents in your life. Otherwise, you're gonna fall victim to the gravitational pull of drift. And it's out there. It's always out there. And you're gonna end up drifting into directions you don't really wanna go unless you continue to pay attention. I came across this, I'm not even sure who wrote it, but they said, look at how silent and unnoticed the pull of drift is. If it disturbed us or jarred us or jolted us, if it drew attention to itself, this might be enough to put us on guard, but it isn't, so we're not. But look, no such warning signals ever given. No alarm bell sounded. We drift away softly and silently. It's like rocking a baby to sleep, like a ship floating down the tide. The life of drift is a pathetically easy course to follow. In other words, anybody can do it. Anybody can do it. It takes no output of energy to float down a stream or to be carried forward on the crest of a running tide. All that's necessary for a life of drift is just relax, do nothing, cease struggling, and to submit to the unhealthy influences within us and around us. So no wonder the writer says, we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. In other words, stay tethered to what's true. Stay connected and anchored to what's right, to what's good, to what's better and what's best. Anchor yourself to the teachings of Jesus. Anchor yourself to the teachings of scripture. Anchor yourself to the truth so that you do not drift away. Otherwise, the current that is in me, the current that's in you, the undercurrent that is around us, it will take us to some places that we may not be able to come back from. We may not just be able to recover from those things overnight because we get so far away, we get so overwhelmed at how in the world do I get back to where I was? And so the author's teasing this out and he goes on and he says, see to it brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. 
that drifts away from the living God. So pay attention so that you don't drift away from the true and the living God. Listen, rarely does anybody wake up one morning and decide, you know what, it's Tuesday, I no longer believe. Very seldom does somebody wake up on Monday and say, you know what, I'm just casting off all my moral restraints. I'm just gonna live ever how I wanna live. I'm gonna live recklessly, I'm gonna live unwisely. Nobody wakes up one morning and decides that. When we get to a place where we're living recklessly without wisdom, when we've casted off moral restraints, when we now questioning just the basic core beliefs and we think, ah, yeah, I'm not sure anymore, we drifted there. We didn't, we didn't just decide to be there, we drifted there. And the writers are reminding us that drift is always in the direction of unbelief. And unbelief, it's, it's, it's not like this one and done decision. Unbelief is like a slow loss of consciousness of God. It's like an amnesia that we get of God. It's like an Alzheimer's, a spiritual version of it that's just so horrid that we, we, we no longer think of God, we no longer remember God. That, that reality is just kind of taken from us. So we lose consciousness of God and we're not thinking about him and he's not factored in and we're not paying attention. And as we lose consciousness of God, we lose confidence in God and, and God becomes distant. He becomes an afterthought. He becomes that accessory. He's an option to leverage when it's convenient or in my best interest. So we drift towards what I would call practical unbelief because I mean, we're from the, we're from, we're from the Bible Belt. We're, we're from Appalachia. We're from the mountains. I mean, we're people of faith. We'd never, we'd never admit that we stopped believing, but we'll live that way. We live as though God doesn't exist or God doesn't matter or God's not relevant or God doesn't care. And he says, at the heart of every sin, because this is where we drift, we drift towards unbelief. And at the heart of every sin is unbelief. Have you ever asked yourself, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I say that? I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Unbelief. Because either in that season or in that moment, you, me, we, we didn't believe God mattered. We didn't believe that God was relevant to our life. We didn't believe what we had been told about what is good and what is best and what is true and what is right. And, and so God was just not in our consciousness he became inconsequential. And that's what he's talking about. That's the danger of drift. Because we drift to a place where we no longer act as though God believes. Now we may go through the motions, but, but really when, when push comes to shove and rubber meets the road, we kind of live like God doesn't exist. And when we turn away from him, the things we turn to, because you can't turn away from the living God if you're not also turning to some things. So when you turn away from the living God, you're, you're turning to some things that are not life-giving. You're turning toward things that are life-taking. Things that are robbing and stealing and killing. Things like joy and peace and a controlled sound mind. Things that are gonna affect the quality and the direction of your life and my life. You're gonna turn away without even knowing it. Turning to some things that are gonna rock your world. 
So he says, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Because as you drift away, and as you're drifting, you're slowly turning away from the living God and you're turning towards these things which are stealing and killing and destroying you without you even noticing it. As you drift away, you're becoming more and more deceived, deceived by sin, deceived by your own heart because Jeremiah said, my heart is desperately wicked. And, and I would say amen and amen to that, Jeremiah. My heart, your heart, our heart, the sooner we realize my heart is desperately wicked, it's desperately wicked, it's deceitful. My heart lies to me all the time. Your heart lies to you all the time. Sin lies to you all the time. Sin lies to me all the time. You know what sin will do? Sin is so deceitful. Our heart is so deceitful. Sin and our heart will kind of team up against us and convince us that what we want is what we need. And so sin convinces us, hey, you just think you want it, but it's more than just that you want it, you, you need it. You need it to have life, you, you need it. And, and all of a sudden you're deceived. Sin is so deceitful and our hearts are so deceitful, it will convince us that what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. I mean, that's the goofiest thing to think about in all the world, but let's just stop, pay attention and look around the world that we live in. How many people have been convinced that right is now wrong and wrong is now right and up is now down and left is now right and it's like, is there any, everything just gets made up as we go along because that's what happens when we're led by the undercurrents within us and around us. Sin, it will promise you, hey, this is gonna make you happy. It's gonna make you happy, but it doesn't. It's gonna fulfill you, but it doesn't. That's the way it works. So go ahead, do that. Go there, be irresponsible. You're gonna be okay, you're gonna be good. Because sin will attract you and then it ambushes and it attacks you. That's how it works. And sin's a serious matter because it kills. Sin always brings death. And that's a serious matter. And the idea is you drift, you drift, you drift, you drift. It's so slow, you don't even know it. You're turning away from the living God. You're turning towards some things that are robbing you of life, joy, and peace. You're getting to a place where you're losing consciousness of God in some of the most important areas of your life. You're deceived by sin, you're deceived by your heart. And when that happens, anything can happen. When that happens, anything can happen. Now, that's kind of the the beginning of this series, and, and this is where uh, I land the plane. There's some examples you already know about in the scriptures that I just wanna point them out to you so that you can be thinking about this and so that you can have these, these ideas as the backdrop as, as we go through this month because there's some things that I'll, I'll, I'll talk to us about in the weeks to come that I think are so important for our church and and we're asking our church all throughout the next five weeks on Thursdays to take a day and fast and, and to take those prayer cards that we've given out at all of our churches that have three specific things to pray about on those specific Thursdays to, to keep us conscious of God, to keep us from drifting. But I, I wanna remind you about the very first story of the Bible, just as an illustration of what I've been talking about and what we're gonna be talking about. You remember Adam and Eve? Of course you do, you remember Adam and Eve. Sunday school, it's like Sunday school 101. God created the world, said it's good. He created Adam and Eve, put them in the garden. And then God's first words to humanity, I love this. God looked at humanity and says, you're free. You're free to eat of all the trees in the garden. 
Who knows? I mean, maybe thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions, I don't know. But you're free to eat of any tree that you want, except one, save one. And that one tree, it's forbidden. Now I wanna tell you, you're free to eat from all the other trees. And those trees, they're what's right. There's what, that's what's good for you. That's what's best for you. So you're free to eat of all of those trees, but there's just this one. It's not good for you. It's not best for you. It's not right for you. It's forbidden. But all Adam and Eve could think about was what? The forbidden. And when you focus on the forbidden, when you stop paying attention to what is right and what is good and what is best, and you begin to place your attention on what's forbidden, you know what? You no longer can feel free. When you focus on what's forbidden, you can no longer feel free. You lose all sense of freedom. They were free to eat all the other trees, but when you focus on what's forbidden, all of a sudden you feel trapped. All of a sudden you feel smothered. All of a sudden you feel like you're missing out. All of a sudden it feels like your life is so small. You've got a whole flipping garden. But one tree has got you so messed up that you feel imprisoned. Isn't that crazy? Of course it is. But that's happened to all of us at some point. The forbidden, you know what the forbidden does? When you focus and place attention on what's forbidden instead of what's good, what's right, and what's best for you, you can't see what's good in your life anymore. And you become convinced that what's forbidden is what is good and right and best for you. You, you lose sight you've got a whole garden. You lose sight that you've got a lot of God's goodness in your life. Fixation on the forbidden. It, it, it convinces you that, hey, there's gonna be no consequences for this tree. I mean, my goodness, God's not gonna do anything to me. And, and so what did Adam and Eve do? You know the story. They slowly started drifting. And as they slowly started drifting, they were turning away from God, from the living God and they were turning towards something that was gonna rob them of life. And they began to define their own sense of right and wrong and good and better and best. They created a theological grid. They created a practical way of thinking that allowed them to rationalize and justify what God told them. Hey, no. No. So what happened? Well, you know what happened. Adam and Eve, they drifted from what was good and drifted towards what was forbidden. Then there's Israel, right? God's chosen people. He rescued them from slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them with bread from heaven. He led them by a cloud by day and a fire by night. He gave them water out of a rock in the middle of the desert. Amazing. But you know what Israel got? They got bored. They got bored with God. They were just bored easily, right? Bored. You got a kid that looks at you sometimes, dad, I'm bored. Mom, I'm bored. You're bored with your father? No. I think that's kind of what you're saying. You're bored with us. But Israel got bored easily. That, that's kind of how it went. You remember, you know, they leave Egypt, they go to Sinai, God shows up on this mountain, you know, smoke, lightning, thunder. You know, he's up there and all the people like fall to the ground and they're like, oh my, we've never seen this before. This is incredible. This is the greatest thing ever. Look at it, look at it, look at it. Oh, it's awesome, it's incredible, it's great. And everybody, they never felt so close to God. They never felt so spiritual. They were never gonna get over this moment. It was gonna just, oh my gosh, we're so good to be here. God is so good. God is so great. God should be praised. You know, and they're all going crazy. And then it was great until it wasn't. And they got bored. God didn't leave. The smoke, the lightning, and the thunder were still going on, and they got so bored, they like, you know, 
Let's, what do y'all want to do? I don't know. Is it golden calf time? I think it is. It's golden calf time. Let's, let's build one. Let's, let's have something shiny and new because we need shiny and new. Yeah, it's pretty cool, but we've seen that before. They were so numb. They'd grown numb. They drifted into numb of what was once awe-inspiring. What was so overwhelming because it was so divine was now just normal. It was boring. The spectacular had become common. And they stopped paying attention to God. And they slowly drifted. And they turned their attention towards things that were gonna rob them of life. Later on, Israel is preparing to go into the promised land. All right, Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8, and God, God kind of warns them, says, hey, when you go over to the promised land, don't forget, don't forget God. <laughs> forget God? How do you forget God unless you have a medical condition? I don't forget God. Now, don't forget God because you're gonna go over there and you're gonna live in houses that you didn't build and you're gonna drink from wells you didn't dig and you're gonna eat from vineyards you didn't plant. So don't get over there and stop being grateful because losing your gratitude is like, it's gonna cause you to drift into a lack of consciousness of God. And when you stop being grateful and you begin to drift towards those good, right, and best things, and, and you begin to drift from them, you're gonna turn to other things. You're gonna drift towards other gods. That's what he told them. Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 8. You're gonna, you're gonna turn to other gods. You know what? That's what they did. And those other gods, you know what? It destroyed them. It destroyed them from the inside out. Israel drifted from being grateful to being indifferent. Because gratitude is what keeps us tethered to God. Gratitude is what keeps us connected to God. Gratitude is what forces me to put my attention on God. Because when I focus on what's good and what's right and what's better and what's best and God's goodness in my life, and I recognize that he is the giver of it, and I express my gratitude to God, I am tethered in my conscious awareness of God. God begins to be practically more real and practically more present in my life. But what happened with them? They got entitled. They thought somehow they had earned it on their own. And they drifted. And they drifted towards other gods and it's gonna destroy future generations in the process. The future generations would be left to pay the price. And then lastly, this is, this is it. Here's another great example of drift that I think we all should carry with us in our mind. Everybody remembers the story of the prodigal son. And at the beginning of what Luke says, he says, let me tell you about a father who had two sons. And so it's just not a story about one son, it's a story about two sons, but we all know the story of the prodigal son and the prodigal asks his dad for his inheritance and the father gives it to him and he goes out and he lives. You know, he drifts, he drifts, he drifts. He drifts far, far from home. He drifts far, far from the father and he ends up in the hog pen and he decides that he's gonna come back to his father and the father, he sees him coming from a far away and he greets his son, he hugs him. He says, hey, bring some sandals and put on his feet, put a new robe on this guy, let's get him cleaned up, put a ring on his finger and somebody get those Wagyu New York strips on the grill because we're having a party tonight. And the father was so happy. The father was so elated that his youngest son had come home. But the other brother, the elder brother, was not. 
He was angry. Think about that. Your brother who's been lost has been found and you're angry. Your brother who everybody thought might be dead is actually now alive and you're angry. The elder brother couldn't celebrate his brother coming home. Think about that. He's lost and now he's found, but you can't celebrate it. Now they're throwing a party and you're ticked about it. Maybe elder brother was thinking, nah, he hasn't paid appropriately for his wrong. Maybe he thought, well, he'll do it again. He's not gonna change. And here, here's the thing, this is just, the elder brother would have rather his little brother be dead than found and at home alive. So I don't agree with that. Well, you need to read the story. He would have rathered his brother be dead or lost rather than alive and found. Now, how messed up is that? The prodigal's elder brother drifted away from love and compassion and drifted toward self-righteousness and condemnation. That's what happened to the elder brother and that's what happens to a lot of Christians who get caught up in religion. We all have a tendency to drift toward self-righteousness and condemnation. We play religious little games where we condemn other people who sin differently than we do because it's not fun to condemn people who sin like we do. And if you try to play that, you'll realize real fast, it's like you pick on the people who don't sin like you do because then you can power up. Then you can find you know, a soapbox to stand on so you can look down on some people. That's how kind of the religious game works. And so you point at sinners who you've created a system that somehow are worse sinners than you are. So you war and complain and you point and you rage. And all the while, you kind of know you're still a sinner, but you're not that bad of a sinner. And so you feel a lot better about yourself when you really shouldn't and you just make them out to be the absolute worst in the world. And, and that's how religion works. And man, that's why a lot of people like to play that game. But self-righteousness always gets in the way of grace, love, and compassion. That's what the father had. The elder brother, he had no grace, compassion, or love. Let me tell you what churches love to do. Churches love to make all the outsiders the enemy and all the insiders the hero of all the stories. Because if we are the heroes of the story and we're the only ones standing for right and we're the only ones who are good and we're the only ones who care and it's everybody out there who's the enemy and we are the champions and we're just gonna stay in our little cubbies and our little communities and we're gonna point fingers at them, we're gonna drop salt bombs on them, we're gonna insult them, we're gonna secretly wish they were dead because they're the problem with the nation, they're the problem with the world. We'll extend grace to ourselves and we will withhold it from everybody else. That, that you don't wake up and decide to do that one day, you drift there. You drift into a place where you prioritize being right over being kind. That's how it works. Here it is. If you get angry at sinners, if you're currently angry at sinners, if you have a hard time showing grace, love, and compassion to certain people in this world who are in certain situations, who sin a certain way, who believe certain things, know that that is self-righteousness. 
That's what it is. And you've drifted into it. And maybe you don't even realize it. If you can't be excited when a prodigal comes home, that's self-righteousness. If you, if you can't get excited about somebody whose sin gets forgiven freely and completely, no strings attached, with no penance to pay, that's a little bit of self-righteousness. Here's a sobering thought for you. You can drift from the Father's heart while in the Father's house. He was in the Father's presence, sat at the Father's table, but he didn't have the Father's heart. He didn't have the Father's love, compassion, or grace. How many of us, we show up to the Father's house, we sit at his table, we sing songs about the Father, but we have lost the heart of the Father. We've drifted and we don't even know it. So, is it possible that you're drifting, have drifted, and you don't even know about it? Is it possible that you are drifting towards what's forbidden? Is it possible that you're drifting towards indifference? Is it possible that you're drifting towards self-righteousness and condemnation and you don't even know it? So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to bow your heads for just a moment. Our eyes are closed at all of our churches and I just wanna ask you a question. Would you be willing to ask God to show you some places where you might be adrift and don't even know it? That's that's the application. That's where we're gonna start, just week one. God, Heavenly Father, show me, because you know, show me the areas that I can't see where I'm drifting away from the living God and towards some things they're gonna still kill and destroy the things that matter most. Father, speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Search us, know us. And God, reveal to us where it is that we're drifting and we don't even know it. Speak, Lord, and give us a heart and ears and mind to hear it and receive it. In Jesus' name.